Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Straczynski. Thank you so much for joining us on episode number 84 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. Today's guest is one of the best mixed game players in the world today, but believe it or not, it's possible you may not have heard of him. The man has won not one, not two, not three, but four WSOP bracelets in events as diverse as Raz, PLO, PLO8, and Horse, and he's got over $1.2 million in career live tournament earnings. I think one can say, however, that he is primarily a cash game player, which is why he might fly under a lot of people's radars, but no more. We've got him right here for you for a great conversation, and it's time to get to know him a little better. Kevin Gerhardt, welcome to the Cards Chat Podcast. Hey, appreciate it. That was a pretty awesome intro. I've been practicing for weeks. Did I get it right? <laughs> uh, I think you nailed it. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, for those who are watching on YouTube, I do apologize about the lighting. I'm in a hotel room in Malta. We're going to just do our best. Uh, it's evening, and Kevin was kind enough to give him uh, give us some of his time this morning uh, from Las Vegas. We appreciate it. Um, so, Kevin, you know, just to sort of quantify this whole, like, people know you, don't necessarily know you. You've been in poker for several years, and, you know, you've played regularly in these big mixed cash games in Las Vegas. Prior to last WSOP, you had already won two bracelets, but this last WSOP is kind of like, I would, I think, where you kind of really got on people's radars a hell of a year. Two more bracelets, you double your career tournament earnings. Would it be unfair to use the word breakthrough as far as last year, like that was really your breakthrough year or not? How do you sort of view things? Uh, it has to be my breakthrough year. I mean, going from, you know, 500K to 1.2 million and going from two bracelets, one of which was online during the pandemic, which right. most people don't necessarily know about, to just, uh, the, the way the way I like to phrase it is, it's always been a, a goal of mine to get drafted by the 25K fantasy, just mm -hmm. one of the teams, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a dollar, $5, $10, whatever. But going from someone who's been undrafted his entire career to potentially top 15, maybe even top 10 value in a matter of a year or two is, okay. is incredible for me. Right. And, and to be fair, you know, those who don't know what this 25K fantasy, it's, you know, like just like any fantasy basketball or sports team, something like that. Um, often those who play the most games well tend to go high in the draft because the fields are a little bit smaller and they have the potential of scoring more points as they run deep. So uh, well phrased. Uh, and I like, that's a great, that's a pretty good answer. And it must feel pretty good. Like you said, um, do you kind of feel though, that perhaps in general mixed game players kind of, oh, sorry, cash game players that they fly under the radar a little bit. And, you know, I guess only at the WSOP, do they get the chance to shine? Like what's, what's your view on that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, cash game players, they, you don't get any recognition from anything, right? There's no bracelets, there's no media, there's no reporting, there's no anything to to say that you're actually uh, good and doing well at poker. You need some sort of tournament scene to finally break through or break out, as as you as you just mentioned. Right. But the, but does that bother you though? Meaning like no, not at all. Because you know that's what I'm saying. Because you're you're still doing your thing. You're still playing, and plenty of cash games players successful. Is that something you kind of like? Well, 
you know, it would be nice if we got some more coverage in the cash game sheets or it's like, that's not something you're chasing. For, for me, it's never been about the glory. Mm. My entire goal for being a poker player has been to avoid the nine to five. You know, mm-hmm. I never want to wake up to an alarm clock. I don't want to have a boss except for my girlfriend. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't want to be on a certain schedule. I okay. just want to live life to to its fullest and enjoy every moment without having to worry about uh, where the next you know paycheck is coming from. That certainly sounds uh, like living the dream in many, many ways, and you're certainly for in the sure. right town for it uh, in Las Vegas there. Um, well, for all, I don't know exactly what your origin story is, you know, as far as, you know, you said, like, you used to work that nine to five job. Uh, you were in poker, but let's go a little bit prior to that. You know, that whole nine to five job thing. You graduated, you know, University of Akron. Uh, you had a degree in, was it electrical engineering, right? That's correct. You know, so what was sort of life like growing up, you know, young Kevin? Did you have any sort of aspirations for this idea of like a career in, you know, as an engineer? Or how, how did you sort of fall into that to begin with? So as far as aspirations for a career in engineering, I, it, I'm very, very stereotypical as in I was very good at math and science in school. And what do people that are good in math and science do in college? They go to engineering, right? right. And engineers get paid pretty well. I mean, you can make a pretty good living. I never yeah. wanted to be like a doctor or anything. Mm-hmm. I very, very quickly uh, determined that I did not want to be like a lawyer or anything, although mm-hmm. patent lawyers make so much money, but there's just, it's so much hard work and so much schooling and studying. But I've always loved games and I've always loved playing games. And back in middle school uh, and before I got into Pokemon cards, Yu-Gi-Oh cards, Magic cards, and I mean, it's just always been um in my blood to to play games and play card games you know on my mom's side we grew up playing playing euchre with her family and on my grand on my dad's side my grandma would always play canasta with us and it's just always been just games my entire like, life cribbage also uh i didn't start playing cribbage until i met my girlfriend because oh. her parents are from her her grandparents are from england uh-huh. and they love playing cribbage uh-huh. Nice. That's it. And true to form, uh, you know, uh, I will say that just before this interview, Kevin said, just got to finish this video game. So it's certainly uh, not a bluff. (laughs) So uh, it seems like, though, as you said, though, you've mentioned with each of those careers that money was clearly something in your head. You know, like, I, I guess growing up, it was important to you to make a lot of money or be rich or just have enough that you could do whatever you want to do. Right. And that that was the goal. Have enough money to have freedom. Uh-huh. And freedom okay. has always been my number one goal. Cool. So when when you got into poker, when that first sort of began, well, first of all, what was it? And then I guess how quickly did it turn into, oh, that's interesting to, oh, that's something I could use to make money and obtain that freedom. <laughs> so like most people, uh, I, at least in my generation, I started with the moneymaker era, right? 2003, random random guy wins the World Series of Poker main event. And I learned poker. We played $5 tournaments with my friends at the kitchen table. And I moved into high school and played, you know, $20 tournaments with my high school friends for the tennis team. And then eventually when I got into college, uh, I started dating a girl who was a massage therapist and got a job at the casino. 
Uh-huh. I went to the casino and the first night I turned like 200 bucks into 400 and I was just addicted after that point. <laughs> no, I went, I went to YouTube and Twitch and just tried to digest every single thing I possibly could. And that's, that's just kind of my personality too. Very addictive personality when it comes right. to things I enjoy. Right. And, you know, you mentioned you've been all into all sorts of games. So I, I guess that you know, makes it very understandable why mixed games were appealing to you. When did you sort right, of discover yeah. the mix beyond, you know, the Holden that you saw, you know, with Moneymaker on TV? So I used to be uh, actually pretty, pretty competitive at Magic the Gathering, which is mm-hmm. pretty common among uh, amongst poker players. I, I traveled from Cleveland to all the surrounding cities. I went to Cincinnati, Indianapolis, Detroit, Columbus, Buffalo. And I even flew to a certain number of locations. I flew to Hawaii. I flew to LA. I flew to Florida. I flew to uh, Atlanta. I flew to Richmond. I mean, I've been all over the country playing poker tournament or playing magic tournaments uh, before my poker career even started. And there was money in that? Excuse my ignorance. Not not really. The only money in that is uh, if you're basically number one in the world, like the best player ever. Uh, I think has barely cleared a million dollars over his entire, you know, 30 year career, 25 year career. Uh-huh. So there, okay. there's no money in that, but I, I did it for fun because I enjoyed it. And my brother tagged along with me for a lot of it. Got it. And I mean, it's just, it's just the competitive nature that I have to to just be one of the best. You know, I competed in the the highest level tournament in the world three times. Okay. That's cool. That's so, pretty cool. I mean, it's been, it's been, it's been, Quite a quite a journey uh, evolving from magic to poker. Sure. So so the mixed games. So where did they sort of come in? Oh, the mixed games. I have to give all the credit to Jason Somerville. Once I found his YouTube channel and his Twitch stream, uh, I just watched him play on all these you know horse events on Stars back in the day, and mm-hmm. just loved that uh, you get so many more cards. There's so many different games, and you get to just kind of outthink everyone on so many different levels. For sure. But Jason is the person that that I have to give all the credit to uh, to at least my early mixed game prowess. I mean, when I moved to Vegas, I remember playing $4, $8 um, mixed games at Caesars. Uh-huh. And that that's where I started. And nice. winning like a hundred bucks back in the day, you know, five or six years ago was was awesome. As someone who occasionally wins $100 at a 4-8 game, I concur that yeah. it still is awesome. And I yes. love it's so cool. Like you said, back in the day, five, six years ago, it's amazing right. the transformation that can happen in just a short span of five, six years. Yeah, no, um, it, it, I love amazing. the shout-out. I love the shout-out to Jason because that's going to definitely explain the, one of our future questions here. Um, I am wondering, though, and like you said, you know, playing games is one thing, um, and then – you know, appreciating the, the need to have that money is the freedom. But like at some point you decided to quit your job and you're like, okay, I'm going to try this whole poker thing. I guess yep. it was around five, six years ago, but what was that thing that clicked in your head that said, okay, it's time to, to give this a shot. When, when did you think like I could do this and make a living from it? So I quit my job in December of 2015. And the reasoning was um, I was basically burning the candle at both ends. It's like an old, mm. old time, old time saying. And I would get up, uh, you know, five o'clock, six o'clock, whatever. Go to work. Work from seven to four. Go to the casino. Play from 
5 to 1 a.m., go home, do it all over again the next day. Mm -hmm. And the job that I was working at, basically, I wasn't getting paid as much as I uh, should have or expected to get paid. And they made they allegedly made it all up in Christmas bonus okay. to like to give you the difference from what you should be paid. And they had a down year that that year. This was my uh, third year working for the company. Mm-hmm. And basically, I didn't get the bonus like even close to what I was expecting. Right. So I lost maybe 20 percent of, of my paycheck. Yeah. Uh, that, and I was just like, you know what? I love poker so much. And you know, I've, I've always been smart. I've always you know, had the ability to study and I've always loved games. So I tell my mom, mom, I'm moving to Vegas and I'm going to try playing poker for a living. If it doesn't work out, you know, I still have my degree. I could always be a dealer. I could always do something else. You know, it's just, I'm 25 years old, 26. I think it was 26 at the time because I just had a birthday and I'm still young and I can do whatever I want in life and i'll never i'll never forget her response was i'll believe it when i see it (laughs) so i spent the next uh i quit my job in december spent the next number of months just playing poker at the casino um in cleveland in cleveland uh uh, moved back in with my parents for a couple months Hmm. um and in june of 2016, I packed up my car with whatever I could fit in it, mostly just clothes, didn't have a place to stay, didn't have a a plan. My brother and I drove 36 hours across the country. Straight? Landed uh, almost straight. Okay, wow. I I took one break. The first day I drove for 20 hours straight and I took one break and I made it there the next day and I did all the driving and um, I ended up staying. Up young. Fl- <laughs> I, I stayed up. I stayed at the Flamingo for about a week, and my brother and I drove around and tried to find me an apartment. And that's where it all. That's where it all started. I gotta say, your timing was pretty good before things got like ridiculous expensive in Vegas. So that's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. So that's that's one bit of luck, and and that's it. You never looked back from there, and you know you saw success immediately. Yep. Well. I, I did see success immediately. I think my first World Series, I made something like 60K. Yeah. Over the, the next two years, I mean, if you look at my hand and mob, I didn't really yep. have very many, very many big scores or caches. And I would just fire everything on my own because I didn't know any better. Huh. All the 1500s, all the whatever. Right. And I went on a downswing. Yep. After, after the first couple of years. And then... I can pinpoint like multiple tournaments where I was like, all right, the bankroll needs some help. Hmm. And I would just like win a tournament or come in whatever in a tournament. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's definitely been up and down. This last year was obviously the best year I've ever had. And yeah. hopefully this year follows suit. But I mean, poker is definitely a roller coaster. It's not always up or always down. Mm-hmm. Um, you just got to keep grinding and keep working at it. It's interesting that you referenced mm-hmm. tournaments specifically as far as how well you were running. Isn't cash games, aren't cash games your bread and butter though? Now they are. So I didn't actually start playing cash games until like February of last year. Right. Uh, when I found out the, the 80 game was going. I played a little bit of like 
2040 below before that, um, but that that uh, quickly went away when when the pandemic hit. Right. Um, but I try to play, you know, four days a week at least. Mm-hmm. Um, nowadays, for for cash games, it's it's good as a you know a, a bankroll supplement. But I still think my bread and butter is is poker tournaments, and I think the most profitable time of the year is the World Series, and mm-hmm. I will not take any days off. If there's a tournament I can play, even if it's two cards, I will play it. Two cards? What are you going to do with two cards? <laughs> I know. It's so difficult to make a hand with two cards. <laughs> well, that's interesting, though, because if you turn it into your bread and butter, and you know we know the, the buy-in levels that you're at right now, World Series is obviously the primary time to be playing mixed game tournaments, but not during the year as much, You know, at least not without right. traveling too much. So, so how would you sort of reconcile that? I used to play every single tournament that the win offered because the win, the win is the best place in town for tournaments. I okay. mean, period. And Even they, it's they not mixed games, you're saying? Not mixed games. So okay, I, I used it. to be a no limit tournament grinder. Ah, okay. That explains And it. I played, okay. you know, PLO tournaments. I have, uh, you know, I have a win trophy from uh, a no limit tournament. I have a win trophy from PLO. I have a ring from PLO, mm-hmm. bracelet from PLO, whatever. Um, but I've switched to mixed games because I understand that. I'm just better at them. There's not a solver out there for everyone to study and be on the same playing field. You know, the only no limit tournament I plan on playing this entire year is the main event. There you go. World Series 10K main event. Every other tournament I hope to play is mixed game tournaments. Right. And hopefully I can do at least half as well as I did last year. (laughs) <laughs> that's a nice bar there you go well, and i hope the you know just uh, here's hope and no solvers ever for mixed game you got to keep them nice and pure uh right. for us for us rex you mentioned jason somerville so of course uh, i've got to ask uh about run it up reno or uh, as jason would say run it up so you got to ask about those <laughs> you have uh, oh he's a good dude um hopefully we'll have him uh on the, the podcast at some point uh you obviously uh, are very fond of it and obviously they've got a bunch of nice low limit uh, mixed games that, that they run over there, nice trophies yep. as well. Tell us about your experience uh, at the Run It Up uh, events up in Reno. I, I love Run It Up Reno. I was so sad when COVID hit and, and he had to, to do away with it. I mean, it's just a nice getaway with, with some really awesome people. And you get the, the small stakes tournaments that you don't get to play basically anywhere else. And I, I can definitely attribute some of my skills to getting to play in those tournaments and getting to play all these different variations of mm-hmm. poker. And my goal in the future for run it up is to do a uh, commentary because he has a whole setup with, you know, final table coverage. Yeah. And I just love talking poker and I love mixed games and I want to share mixed games with the rest of the world, hopefully through uh, commentary of these low, low stakes events. I don't know if you are aware, but I did uh, for a few months, host uh slash commentate a werewolf game I for <laughs> the run it up channel do you know what werewolf is i've heard of werewolf it's a very so, common uh commonly played communal game where you've got to guess who's who's the wolf or something like that right exactly yeah. it's a it's a real-time strategy thing where where everyone gets assigned a role yeah and there there's different phases where you go through and try to figure out based on player tells and live reads Right. Who's telling the truth and who's lying? So for a number of months, we would have a weekly werewolf game 
on Jason's Twitch channel. Nice. And I would be the uh, the solo host of the of the game. Did you have a parrot? Um, you have Mirko on your shoulders, or, or no? Mirko was uh, was in in the next room over. But there you yes, go. <laughs> uh, that was so much fun, and I I definitely would love to get into more uh, commentary to kind of share my wisdom. Because if you if you think about it, the the people that I look up to in the mixed community, um, in terms of commentators, are Chris Vich, uh, Matt Grapenthien, um I mean, I, I looked up to Dylan Horton when he was a uh, uh, a streamer on Poker Stars. I mean, these guys have just so much knowledge mm. and so much information in their brain. I mean, Randy Ohl, um, they 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 need to share it with the world. And I mm. think just to get people into mixed games and to get people interested in mixed games, yeah. You know, so I, I can win more tournaments and take more money. There you go. <laughs> well, in that sense, uh, we're definitely peas in a pod. Uh, except for the fact uh, that you know you've got four bracelets and play high, you know, but in the same the same idea, we're we're very right, exactly. uh, like minded. Right. We're like minded in that way. Uh, well, let's go ahead and do that. You know, let's pick your brain a little bit. Let's say there's some folks I don't know, like me, for example, who play low stakes mixed games. You know, beyond obviously, you've got you know your own personal talents and uh, you know uh, the ability to learn very quickly all that stuff but let's just you know remove that from the equation let's talk about perhaps two or three general tips you could offer low stakes mixed game players who might be looking to sort of step it up a notch and, and see how they can progress to higher stakes like you did well, what would you recommend right so the number one thing i would say and this is true for all forms of poker believe people Whenever, whenever they show strength, they're strong. That's, that's just how poker works in general. And the best thing you can do is make the tough folds, say, on rivers uh, to save money in spots where other people can't. Mm -hmm. I, would, I would say that is, that is step number one is perfect your live reading skills and just know when people are, are portraying strength that they are strong and that they have it. Uh, the second thing is know the intricacies of the games that you're playing, mm -hmm. right? If you're playing Archie, understand um, or try to understand uh, based on draw patterns where your opponents are at. Are they going high? Are they going low? Archie being a five-card triple draw, high-low split pocking. And in terms of mixed games in particular, understand where you can make good faults to save bets and understand where you can make good raises or thin value bets that will get called to make extra bets. Because yeah. unlike No Limit, everything's about uh, making bets or saving bets in, in certain spots in whatever pot you're playing. Nice. Now, far be it for me to add any additional tips, but I, had, I do have to add one asterisk there as far as Archie, just uh, for those who do play the game, know in, in advance whether this is nines or better or sixes yes. or better as well because uh different rooms spread different versions of archie um so yeah so i, I think it's time uh, you know like in mixed games or any other sort of poker tournament whatever it is you got to change gears a little bit so we'll switch from the the mixed game everything we've been sort of talking about and let's do sort of like a a timeline your your bracelet progression uh okay. you know 
but let's talk before your breakthrough. Obviously, you know, bracelet number one comes uh, back in the day. You know, in two thousand nineteen. Back in the day, exactly. In two thousand nineteen, you win the fifteen hundred Raz event, um, and it wasn't uh, you know no slouches at that table. You had Robert Campbell, former WSOP Player of the Year, uh, and Scott Clements, bracelet winner as well, for your first ever six-figure score, one hundred nineteen k. What's your feeling sort of like, you know, navigating your way through that tournament and you see who's around you at the final table and then you go ahead and win. What's that feel like for you? At the time, I mean, it was, it was unreal. I, I, I couldn't imagine winning a bracelet in, in anything, to be honest, because the hmm. fields are so big and yep. the games are so tough. And like you said, playing against Scott Clemens and Robert Campbell, I mean, there were some other good players at that, at that final table for sure. Looking back at it now, I can honestly say that I realized how well I ran in that tournament. Um, and I didn't play particularly great. Uh, I really wish it was televised so I can go back and look at myself and see exactly how lucky I did get and the spots mm. that I could run uh, to see um, you know, the equities and to see sure. uh, if I played um, well or if I really do have this this notion of I just sun ran for the last two days of the tournament so on on day two of that event I was down to one small bet um and I ran that all the way back up to get every single turn every single chip in the tournament but now I I can I can objectively look back and say I got really lucky that that first bracelet but I mean, winning it is obviously an incredible feeling for sure. And 119 K, you know, was that a, a difference maker to you as far as like, okay, you know, it's a different kind of life now, or were you sort of already at that stage for money you had made prior? No, that was definitely a difference maker. Um, mm -hmm. That was the, uh, unfortunately for that, for that tournament, um, my bankroll back in 2019 wasn't as big as it was the previous years because I was in a downswing and didn't win uh, basically anything. Right. So I only I only actually had about a third of myself in that tournament. Okay. Okay. So yes, it was it was big money, uh, yeah. especially for someone who was struggling with uh, with the bankroll mm -hmm. at the time. Um, but I've come to realize afterwards. Um, that I should I should be taking bigger pieces of myself okay. uh, during the World Series because it, it's the most profitable time of the year, especially for mixed game players. Right, well, that makes sense. Well, you know, uh, you you clearly learned that lesson the next year. Uh, you're you know in the 2020, yes, the online version, albeit, but still, uh, you go ahead and you, uh, you know you bank number two, 506 max PLO, a little under 100k. Did that win feel any different to you? And if so, in what way? I mean, it was definitely different. The uh, so if you if you look at the picture from 2019 when I had like 40 people on my rail throughout the yeah. the time of like the final <laughs> table, and they yeah, this was at a time where they had uh, like a side final table area with uh, bleachers and like basically a mini Thunderdome. Sure. And the second one was just myself on my couch with my girlfriend next to me. Mm -hmm. And I mean, 
yes, I mean, when I when I have all of myself in a tournament, and I win almost 100K. It's it's pretty exciting. Uh, I can objectively look back at that because there are uh, Twitch videos. Yeah of of uh you know with with commentary and i can objectively say that i did play that one very well there you go okay so So different i'm very happy with 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 how that one turned out and that was the only event that i played that entire year one for one that's a pretty good record love it one for one hang it up so without live poker uh to sort of get those reps in you know as the pandemic sets in how do you stay sharp how do you study during that time and just you know make sure that when you know the pandemic does end and you can go back to playing live that you remain on your a game and hopefully have improved as well there wasn't really like tools to study mixed games yes i could study plo and no limit but i just find that so boring now that i understand the the, uh, incredible world of mixed games so basically um, my girlfriend and I kind of learned to cook during that time. I took up more video games. Mm-hmm. Um, we binged a ton of shows on Netflix and Hulu, nice. you know, shows from back in the day. You know, uh, How I Met Your Mother, Big Bang Theory, Scrubs. I mean, all Great the choices. Like, oh, classic fantastic shows choices. Was, well done. Yeah, I mean, we just binged TV shows. I mean, I caught up on all of Shark Tank. I watched... Uh, um, community we watched uh schitt's creek i mean just anything you can imagine we we uh we, we uh <laughs> just sat hours and hours and binged so much youtube or so much netflix and hulu and luckily for us we decided to invest in an exercise bike uh-huh. that was, that was a, a good way to get through not going outside or sure. going wherever sure well fair enough okay um so there are those who say that, you know, validation as a player, so to speak, you know, depending on how many bracelets you have and, you know, okay, anyone can win one. I haven't won one. Just, I haven't even cashed in one, just saying. But, you know, <laughs> oh, that second one, oh, that, okay, you're, you're, you know, you're the real thing. Did you feel perhaps any additional validation after bracelet number two? Number two, not really, because like I said, it was online. And a lot of people don't really put stock into online mm-hmm. or I, I guess really don't don't follow the the news or the reporting or right. you know know too much about it. The validation definitely came after number three. There you go. There you uh, go. Number three was a, was you know the, the biggest buy-in I've ever played. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've I've played something maybe like eight non-main event 10ks in my life or I've only mm-hmm. ever cashed in one. But it only it only takes that one. Yeah. <laughs> but that that was definitely the validation of hey, I might actually be, you know, top top whatever percentage in the world in these games. And right. I, I, you know, I, I can definitely uh play better than than the vast majority of people. Nice. And then Very cool. num- number four coming you know, a week later is was un- Two unbelievable. Two weeks. Yeah. Two weeks later. It was 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 unbelievable. So we're definitely gonna talk a little bit about bracelets three and four, but just before we do, and we called it, you know, your your breakouts, well, not summer, but fall, uh last year. Um, going into the 2021 World Series, obviously, you know, the whole poker world's super excited, you know, that the World Series is back after two years, you know, that, that that's really cool. But beyond that, 
you know, especially after uh, all that uh, Netflixing, you know, um, did you have any particular goals going into the series? Like, did you say, like, I want to, you know, cash so many times when so many, you know, so much amount of money, something like that? I think setting goals uh, like that is is pretty unrealistic. You kind of just have to take it day by day and whatever happens, just be happy with. And the only thing you can control is how you play your cards. Right. You know, if, if if you're unhappy with how you're playing your cards, you need to get back in whatever study mode you, you, you can be in and make sure that you come into the tournament every single day, just in the zone, focused and ready to play poker. Mm-hmm. So setting goals like, if I say, oh, I want to win another bracelet this year, I'm just just putting extra pressure on myself that I, that I don't need to have. Okay. Like I said before, my only goal is to have freedom. And as right. long as I can continue to have this freedom, that's all that matters in my life. Yeah, fair response. Uh, very honest. Like that. Uh, you know, also integrity. It's good. You know, that that goal sort of continued, I guess, that that one main goal. Um, well, you said, you know, you felt very validated after that third bracelet. It's a 10K. It's a championship. I don't think that you've been playing those beforehand. What made you decide that you're ready to go ahead and give it that shot? Because you said how you felt afterwards, like, I am among the best. But did you feel that going in? So basically, my I, I have a group of friends that that convinced me that I needed to play the 10Ks because I was I was a winning player in the in the 80 game. OK. And. I decided that I was going to sell a large chunk of the 10Ks. Uh-huh. Um, and that allowed me to to play in these fields. And I mean, the horse was definitely a mixture of, of luck and skill because I'm playing against the best players in the world, no question. Right. And you know, I, I had uh, Scott Siever at my table, Marco Johnson, Benny Glazer. I mean, it, it's just beating these people in in a poker tournament and understanding uh how they play and trying to be a sponge and learn as much as possible while playing against these guys was was the biggest reward of the tournament i mean wow. i really like i really do look up to a lot of these players and if i can if i can soak up any little bit of information uh just to get better uh, that's that's what I do every year before the World Series. I watch old World Series videos. That's how I get ready for them. I mean, it was it was an unbelievable experience. And um, my girlfriend's parents actually came out. They scheduled a trip months in advance. Didn't know I was going to be at a final table, and got to watch me win that bracelet, which which was you know one of the coolest experiences of my life. Uh, just to have her her and her parents at at my rail, just watching this entire final table. And then I'm pretty sure I shed a couple of tears after, uh, after number three, number one and number two, uh, nothing, but number three, that was, that was the one that really got me. That's huge. And then, you know, for all the reasons you mentioned, that's, uh, that's pretty awesome. I'm glad uh, you got to just sort of relive that at least to a small degree now by telling that story. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. You talk about these players you meant, you know, you look up to and, uh, you know, you get some good name dropping in there, some really, really solid names well known for their mixed game prowess. What is it, if not necessarily those three, but any players to whom you look up to, what is it about them that or, or the way they play or, you know, what do you think that I guess next tier up or, you know, when you said 
these are like the elite of the elite, your fellow, whatever you, whatever you want to call that. What is it about that that you do sort of aspire to look up to that you think sort of separates that tier, that elite tier from lower tiers? It's just the way that they think about the game hmm. that, that, that separates them from everyone else. You know, everyone else is playing their own cards mm-hmm. where these these players are playing every single aspect of poker all at the same time. I don't know if you've ever sat, sat down and had a conversation with Scott Siever, nope, but he yet. is like one of the smartest people I've ever met and had had the ability to interact with. Hmm. Just the way his brain works, I would love to just get in there and just just look at it and, and hear uh, everything that he that he gets to think about during a hand of poker. Like just watching watching people like that. I mean, I got to play with Ali Alezra and I widely regard him as one of the best all around stud players ever. And just watching him play Raz or play stud high, it's just so eye-opening because he grew up in a, in a world without, without solvers, without calculators, without anything. He just sure. had to learn all of this stuff on his own by himself. Right. He is, uh, I mean, just, just these players are just incredible. And every time I get to sit down at a table with them, I, I watch them intently to try and pick up literally anything I can. And every time a hand goes to showdown, it's just like free coaching. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you can't, you can't beat that. I love it. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, you got to give the shout out to uh, Eliezer. You know, I, I, I did translate his book uh, from in- from Hebrew into English. We did have him here on the podcast uh, before. He was episode number 24. As you all know, I love uh, promoting those previous episodes because uh, there's always plenty to learn from. Uh, this is episode number 84. So you guys got 83 wonderful shows uh, to go ahead and uh and consume uh, after you listen to this one with Kevin Gerhardt. Um, I wonder if that translates, the things that you're saying as well, does that translate to cash games as well? Is, you know, like a 200, 400 game or a three, six or higher than that in your perception of things, is, is that connected more to that elite skill level or just perhaps a function of bankroll? Because, you know, people who are playing an 8160 game already, it's already a very limited player pool. And, you know, it's like you're nearing the top of the pyramid, so to speak. Is there really that much of a qualitative difference of the folks in that game versus, you know, slightly higher or just higher uh, mixed game limits in cash games? So for the 80 games specifically versus, say, the 300, 600 that runs at Resorts World, yep. it's a different mix. So I think it's a different skill set. Got um, it. The 300 game is mostly big bet games. So if you're, okay. if you're good at no limit single draw, if you're good at PLO or, or big O, um, that's, that's where you want to be. And I do think those players that play those games regularly overall are better at those games than people that play the 8160 mix. Uh-huh. Because the 80 mix is a bunch of split block games. You know, it's Badesi, Badusi, Drama Haas. You know, there, there's, there's, it's, it's just a different, uh, different mix. But I think when you get up to say, three k, six k, four k, eight k, like the Jungle Man, um, Brian Rass, Scott Siever, uh, Mike Gordinsky, like the people that play those games in Bobby's room, right? That's where you, you definitely see a qualitative difference between 
how players think about the game of poker. Fascinating. And you ever taken any, I mean, I know you've played, uh, you tweeted recently about playing in Crazy Mike's game. That's the 3-6. Yeah, right. uh, to tell us about taking the shot a little bit higher. What's that feeling like for you? I mean, I I was surprised how welcomed I was by by the people that play the that game regularly. I mean, Crazy Mike, um, you kind of have to take him with a grain of salt, but once you get past the uh, the initial layers, he's like one of the nicest guys, especially when he's when he's winning. You know, I got to play with Crazy Mike and Eric Sagstrom, who um, might be one of the best limit hold'em players ever. Um, I got to play with ODB, who is. Sure. An incredibly nice person. Like I, I just felt so welcomed in this game and in this mix. Uh, it was a little, a little nerve wracking because I've never played that high and played for that much money. You know, you can lose eight thousand dollars in a single hand, and that's uh, that's that's quite a bit because if you have a really, really bad day, you could lose maybe eight thousand at the eighty game. Yeah, a really bad day. Really bad day. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that's true and the reason i know that actually I, I will point out those who don't know never read my story about it i had the good fortune of playing in that 8160 game a couple times with yourself kevin that's where i got to meet you at resorts world uh right. i was not playing on my own i was staked uh, by ellie it was very kind to do that um and you, you know so kind of a similar reason i'm bringing it up and uh, for besides obvious reasons is that uh you know, I felt that same warm welcome. You know, highest I'd ever played in the mix before was 816. So this is literally 10 times as high as I've, as I've ever played before. Right. Uh, but that's very warm welcome among the, you know, wonderful and friendly people in that game. Um, it was it was pretty cool, uh, I got to say. And, you know, I, again, I wasn't playing on my own stake, but knowing what sort of losses were there and hearing what you say a really really bad day is 8k makes me feel a little bit better about the amounts that i lost <laughs> so that's so that was good yeah, a little very very open here from robbie but um not not about me but uh this 8060 game uh it's legendary it runs all the time and you know it's got a lot of characters in there you know uh it's uh, alina judd we all know is part of that game he's known as as baba you know he's got nickname tell us a little bit uh you know, whoever you feel comfortable mentioning is in that game about the characters, uh, you know, you can find around the table regularly. I mean, one of uh, one of my current best friends uh, I met playing that game, uh, Andrew, and we've been we've been golfing regularly, mm. nice. uh, which I've really never played golf before. And I'm still pretty, pretty awful at it. Um, I mean, Scotty, we call Baby Yoda in the game is uh definitely one of the smartest people i've met you know, he mm -hmm. went to stanford and has a, like a master's in in applied math and i mean like you said ali najad um we get some some bracelet winners in there every once in a while but i think uh i'm the only like regular bracelet winner most of these people are just cash game players and don't really play in the uh, world series because you know they have lives and jobs and families and one of the things I like about the 80 mix is I don't have to play against people like me uh, on a regular basis. You know, people that make a living from playing poker who have to win to pay their mortgage. Right. right. I like I like having, um, you know, some sort of stability from the people who have real jobs and, you know, are, are even close to retirement or you know sure. whatever in, in the game. 
but I, I've definitely uh, come a long way even in this game. When I first started playing uh, the 80 mix, I remember Nathan Gamble, who plays in the game regularly, also a Grace of the Winner, yep. uh, would tell Ali Najad that he's played poker with me before and that he doesn't he doesn't want me in the game because <laughs> because I'm a I'm a winning player allegedly. <laughs> and then eventually I, I weaseled my way into the game and I've I've definitely become like a like a mainstay. And you know, Ali and Andrew and Scotty and all of us have become you know pretty good friends over the last year of playing this game together. Pretty awesome. And, you know, we, we give the shout out. So you got to also say Nathan Gamble was episode number 59. Alina Jato was episode number 60. And, and again, I will just, you know, say very openly and frankly, I feel really privileged that I got to play in that game. And it was pretty cool because within 15 minutes, you know, after the, you know, the jitters, you know, kind of fritter away, I said, yeah, it is just chips. You can go ahead and play. But what I love the most, you know, again, like I said, welcoming atmosphere, but it felt like a home game. It was a really, really cool feeling. Like you just get right. in there, you're all buddies. Sure, you're obviously trying to take each other's money, but <clears throat> you know that that feeling was also pretty evident. Of like, you know, win or lose, it's not going to break somebody. And you know, that's a, a pretty cool vibe and atmosphere uh, to have there. So you know, kudos to all of you for having a game like that running. Uh, I think it's uh, good for the good for poker uh, to have that, and good for folks to aspire to. Uh, if you know, folks out there, if you've ever wanted to take a, a shot. I guarantee there's no friendlier environment <clears throat> to do it in than the 8068 Resorts world. Um, before we get into my last question, uh, I just kind of want to know, uh, and then we got, of course, the questions from our listeners here, uh, our Cards Chat community from the forums. Uh, could you give us perhaps uh, a, fav a tip or two for your favorite um, game, for favorite variant in the mix? So what is the is the variant? And what are perhaps uh, one or two tips for that variant? So my favorite game uh, might be surprising. is actually Double Board Omaha. Okay. Right. So it's four cards in your hand, and you play Omaha on two different boards, and it's a split pot game between the high on each board. Correct. Right. So uh, the this this game, I would assume most people know how to play it and what the strategy is, but High card value is key, right? If you have ace, king, queen, jack, that is a monster in that game. You know, aces or kings, obviously monsters in that game. You want to stay away from, you know, six, seven, eight, nine type of hands or, you know, hands with, with deuces or threes in them um, because they just don't help your hand overall. And it's so hard to, to scoop in that game. And the best way to do it is to make, you know, a big two pair and a big two pair. Yep. And that, or, you know, a big flush and, you know, a pair of aces or something. Right. So that's actually my favorite game in the mix. Awesome. And I think it's also known, at least in the lower stake circles, as the Norman Chad special, Dorm Double Port Omaha. Uh, <laughs> another wonderful player with whom to play some mixed games. Uh, my last uh, item for you here, Kevin, uh, as far as I know, there's a very handsome podcast host who's going to be running a mixed game festival at Resorts World this summer from June 12th to 16th. Um, I know why I wanted to work with that room, but you have a unique perspective uh, as a regular there. What would you say that that room, and I am singling that out for a reason, what would you say that Resorts World does particularly well as far as being a great staging ground for mixed games specifically? Uh, and you know, to that extent also, 
you know, you said you want to promote mixed games, you want to spread it. Part of the way to do that is by saying, well, here's a great room. What could other rooms who would want to go ahead and promote mixed games and do it well? What what do you think? What sort of traits, characteristics should they emulate uh, if they want to attract a crowd like that? Right. So the staff is is the best in in town at Resorts World. The dealers, uh, the floor, the management, everything is is top top tier quality. Um, we never have any problems with with any of them. Even when they hire in new dealers, the new dealers, they make sure that they're willing to learn. Uh, and we can teach them exactly how we want all of our mixed games dealt. Um, Resorts World is just it's just the best place to to play poker for us because we get our own private like Bobby's room type type of uh, treatment, uh, which which was awesome as as you know right. Yep. Control control the TVs and the speakers. Yeah. Um, but I would say in general, uh, I think we're transitioning to a point where Resorts World is going to be the place for. Uh, mixed games in Vegas. You know, we already have an 816 that runs there very, very regularly, the 8160, yep. and then 300, 600. You know, if if a group wants to come in, you know, they, they have a 2040 that runs at the win somewhat infrequently, but every once in a while, I think they would they would do much better at Resorts World because there's ways for you to move up. Um, whereas if you just go to the win, it's one, it's one stake. But if you want to play 816, you're feeling good. You got the bankroll. Let's try 2040. All right. We played 2040 for a while. Let's take a shot at 8160. Maybe we right. have to sell some action to some friends or whatever, but you know, that's how I moved up. Nice. You know, I, I, I moved up from, from stake to stake and at resorts world with the mainstays being mixed games at this point, um, that's the place to to play poker, in my opinion. Nice. And I like also like it's not a knock on win, so to speak, but that whole laddering up as a mixed game player that that certainly makes a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, there are other rooms besides obviously other places uh, besides Las Vegas. Uh, guys, let's see, you know, again, from from two people again, peas in the pod. We want to promote mixed games. Uh, that's uh, that's how to do it. Start spreading it uh, at low stakes. Um, guys, in this segment of the show, we turn to you, our Cards Chat community, to see what questions you wanted to ask our guests. We do have a dedicated thread in the Cards Chat forums for this. So as we announce who our future guests will be, please be sure to send in your questions. Uh, a nice new name here. It's always good to see a new participant, TPAC. Thank you so much, TPAC, for sending these in. Um, TPEC wants to know, Kevin, are there any changes in live poker brought about by COVID that you would like to see implemented permanently? Any changes? Oh, there is one change that, that I would love to see. So this only, this only happens at the win, uh, from my knowledge. So they spread a one to $5 PLO game, right? Okay. So it's, it's, the blinds are one, two, and bring in is $5, five to 15 and they made it eight-handed rather than nine-handed. And I do believe that that was a direct result from COVID. And yeah. I would love to see poker stop being nine-handed and start being eight-handed just as the norm. I understand why it's nine-handed. Yep. Some rooms even go up to 10-handed. But I would love to see, I mean, not, not for mixed games. Mixed games play best six-handed, in my opinion. Seven's um, okay. So seven's okay, but I, okay. I prefer I prefer six. 
Okay. Um, but in terms of like no limit uh, PLO uh, tournament poker, I would love to see eight handed across the board. And I do think that was a good change brought on by COVID. Here, here. I, I, I hereby concur with you. And I can probably guess that a lot of folks are listening to you and like nodding their heads. Yep. That's what you want to see. So yeah, it's good exactly. to see that that for the most part, at least thus far has remained the case. So uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, one more question from TPAC. Kevin, if you could change one thing about the WSOP, what would it be? If I could change one thing about the You only WSOP, get one. <laughs> what would it be? There, there are things, multiple things that I would love to change. I'm trying to think what would be my top priority to change at the World Series of Poker. Honestly, uh, I think the, the change I would like to see is uh, compensate the dealers more because I think if you compensated them more and they cared more, they would uh, want to come to work. They wouldn't be working you know, 12 hours a day every single day, uh, which affects their dealing. So I think if they were comp compensated more, then they would do their job better. Not to say that it's it's across the board, but some dealers, especially in mixed games, just aren't as well versed as others, right? So they need a little bit of help at the table. And I think if they're compensated better, working fewer hours, then they would definitely be more uh, awake. I don't know if that's the right word, but more right. more into doing their job at a higher level, right? If you <laughs> If you offer more money to the dealers, you'll also get more dealers from other locations to come in that are more experienced. You know, right. the WSOP basically just hires thousands and thousands of dealers, and I'm unsure, you know, how how the resumes look. I mean, of but, course, obviously, there's the you know the labor shortage and you know the unique factors exactly. for for currently right now. But I do yeah. think a lot of folks have uh, echoed those sentiments, and it was nice to see. Uh, you know, just a few weeks back, Jack Effel did come out there and, you know, they definitely uh, stepped right. up quite a bit. So that was pretty cool. And uh, I guess we'll see, you know, just a few weeks away, uh, we've got the World Series coming and hopefully, uh, you know, beyond uh, the obvious multitude of hours of preparation that the top uh, staff at WSOP do, hopefully also the dealers will be coming in and, you know, everyone giving it their best shots. Uh, you know, I, I definitely a, a good answer there. Uh, and, you know, of course, we can always hope. And uh, as you, one thing, as we all know, those who play the highest stakes, the 10Ks and up, they do certainly get uh, the best uh, dealers dealing for them. So that's another thing, another reason sure. to aspire to the highest stakes. Uh, <laughs> Acid Burn FX, uh, we always love questions from them. Thank you so much, uh, has uh, has asked, uh, Kevin, if you could pick a six, sorry, a sixth sense to have, which one would it be and why? Is that is that including like things that would be considered cheating? No. <laughs> okay. All right. So I'm not allowed to just mind read people and know what their whole cards are. Right? I figured that that's <laughs> what you would ask, but no, no, that is not allowed. There's still you know TDA rules. So right, exactly. So if if I'm not allowed to cheat, what would be my sixth sense? I mean, how close am I? I, I would just like like a a better uh, like psychological understanding of humans in general, 
there because I, I can parlay that into into understanding how people think and how people act at the poker table. So not as far as mind reading, but just mm -hmm. a, a psychological understanding of of how people act and behave at a poker table. And I can cool. use that to, to deduce strength, weakness, whole cards, whatever. Okay. Uh, you may have already answered this. I'm not sure. I don't want to project, but uh, a great question here from Acid Burn FX. What moment of your life did you feel most alive? I really think, okay, so it, there, there's two, and I think it's either bracelet one or bracelet three. And I think okay. I would have to give it to bracelet one because hmm. just winning the first one just put so much confidence in me. And the very next day, I actually entered the 10K Raz, which was my first ever non-main event 10K. After okay. winning, after winning the day before, and having Jason Somerville himself say, "I'll buy whatever piece you want. Ah. No one, no one in the world right now is as good at Raz as you are. You need to play this tournament." Awesome! Wow. So that just kind of like yes, Bracelet Three gave me more validation in terms of okay, it wasn't a fluke. All right, I can actually do this. But Bracelet One, I think, was the most alive I've felt. Uh, can I give an honorable mention? Yes, sir. Okay, so an honorable mention was one of the first ever 1500s I played um, in Cleveland was sponsored by Harley Davidson, and they gave away a motorcycle in a random drawing. And it was like a $20,000 Fat Boy Harley Davidson motorcycle. And you don't have to win the tournament or whatever, but I final tabled the tournament, and they did the drawing, and they called my name. And I won a freaking motorcycle. And so I, I ask if, you know, is there a cash prize? Because I, I would never ride a motorcycle. Right. And they, go, they go, oh, we'll give you uh, 13000 for it. And you have, you, still have to pay, you still have to pay taxes. And I was like, what? So you're giving me like eight grand, seven grand, maybe? Like, okay. a 20K bike. Yeah, okay. Right. So I decided at Thanksgiving dinner that I was going to tell my dad that I was going to give him the motorcycle. And that was just like one of the one of the like first things i can ever remember doing something like really nice for someone else by playing poker and you know i, I try to you know give hotel rooms or whatever when, when when i can you know free drinks or whatever just just little things but that was one of the coolest moments of my life and i mean in terms of feeling alive i i, I love being able to to help those that I really like and people that I really enjoy um, spending time with, just make them happy. Awesome! It gives me the warms and fuzzies. It's uh, it's really really beautiful. I mean, I I kind of wonder, you know, when when your mom had said, "I'll believe it when I see it," was that kind of like a pivotal moment for her? Also, like when you go ahead and like, "Here, Dad, here's a motorcycle." Did she you kind know, yeah. how did she react to that? Uh, she mentioned the word divorce. I mean, she. <laughs> She uh, was not happy at all because, because of the motorcycle. the motorcycle. He he was going to kill himself on the motorcycle. Oh and, no! But eventually, she she just gave into it, and, uh -huh. and we're we're almost seven years later now, and he's still riding. 
There you go. Beautiful. Many, many happy rides up ahead, hopefully. Uh, One last question, Asker Crystals. Thank you very much for submitting these. Um, Crystals wants to know, uh, Kevin, this is actually, um, you had mentioned, uh, I don't remember if it was on uh, recording or or without, that you'd only ever been to Canada uh, beyond the U.S. Crystals wants to know, you know, now that the world is opening up again, are you looking to do any additional travel to play some more live poker series around the world? I don't think I would travel to play poker. Um, there was a time right before COVID hit that I had scheduled a trip with my girlfriend and some friends to go uh, play the the Poker Players Championship oh, in Europe, go. and we would do we would do a, a trip around Europe for a couple of weeks before the tournament started. But I don't think I would want to travel to play poker. I mean, the reason I went to Canada was to play on Stars and uh-huh. uh, play mixed games for scoop before the world series to to try and get ready for it but um i would love to travel around europe at some point uh, and i told my girlfriend if she ever has the extra vacation then we could go spend spend a week in germany or whatever wait nice but yeah poker no there there's enough here that, that i, I <laughs> Very good. Uh, from a wonderful Las Vegas resident. Last question for you, Kevin, again from Crystals. Thank you, Crystals. Uh, Crystals wants to know if you could influence one part of the poker world, what would it be and why? Influence one part of the poker world, what would it be and why? I mean, do I take the easy way out and just say I want to see more people playing mixed games? Um, no, no. I, I just I just want an overall consensus of people. If you're playing poker, just an understanding of win or lose life goes on. I just want no more, no more blowing up at people, no more yelling at recreationals for how they play their cards getting their money in bad and, and getting there. I just want people to to just treat each other with, with kindness and respect at the poker table because you understand that you're playing a game and I want you to, to know that no matter win or lose, life goes on afterwards and there's literally no reason to ever get mad at a poker table, especially at the dealers, throwing cards, throwing tantrums, just treat people better in in the poker community and every time someone blows up with someone else you know i I try to step in especially if it's if it's aggression towards the dealer beautiful and wonderful note uh, on which to end this show i want to thank everyone to who sent in questions for kevin gerhardt and of course just a friendly reminder once again to everyone out there in the cards chat community we would love to see you submit your questions for our future podcast guests in the dedicated thread on the forums guys please be sure to give us a good review on itunes and spread the word via your social media channels if you like the show kevin before we let you go anything else you would like to tell our audience well, th- I mean, thank you for having me on the show. Thanks to everyone for the questions. Uh, I've been looking forward to this ever since I got to play mix with Robbie, you know, a month or two ago, whenever that was. Yep, but yep. Uh, I'm I'm excited to uh, to you know, like we talked about, finally have validation, quote unquote validation, and uh, you know, get drafted highly in the 25k fantasy. Try and get more more time doing commentary or you know more podcasts. You know, I, I really enjoyed this, and I, I appreciate it. 
That's awesome. That's super cool to hear. Thank you very much, Kevin. Uh, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Cards Chat podcast. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at Card Player Life. I wish you all a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.